This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soccer Pilgrim with your host, Jason Jisoo Kim. And today I thought, why don't we kick off the series with uh, a story of my first live experience going to uh, a soccer game. And that first live soccer game I've been, I went to was uh, the U-20 FIFA World Cup in Canada when some of the games were in Montreal. And I was 15 years old, and this was back in, in high school, so this was 2007. And this was um, a different time, obviously. This was like over a decade, and... Montreal soccer in Montreal at this t- at this point was a little weird it's still not as it wasn't as it is today it was still very niche only middle class people and immigrants really played the game like that's it it was still seen as very much an immigrant sport and and it was mostly suburban middle class people who may have been Italian Portuguese or Greek background that you know wanted the kids to keep playing soccer so that was it or there was you know the stereotypical North American soccer moms and soccer families, we definitely had those, but it was still very niche. It, it wasn't clear if professionalism through soccer wasn't a thing. But the FIFA, the U20 FIFA World Cup coming to Montreal or Montreal hosting uh, two or many of its games was a big deal because, you know, we never seen, we would never associate soccer in Montreal. So for all the soccer fans or even just casual world cup fans that people only watch the world cup once every four years you know this was exciting i was like okay we get to have some of this in front of us and at the time my dad was the president of the montreal korean korean community and he obviously got tickets and he was like hey how about we go to the game it was korea versus brazil and i was like there's no way we're gonna miss that game this time around in the world cup korea was in the same group as fuck me it's in the same group as brazil poland and united states i repeat the republic of korea in the u20s world cup was in the same group as brazil the united states and poland we were absolutely screwed like there's 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 no way out of it you know the fate was accepted that korea was not making past this group i mean like come on and at the end of this episode i'll tell you some of those players that were playing for Brazil and for Poland and for the United States and for Korea, I'll tell you some of those pro players that were on that team that day. And for the Brazil team, you would be like, I, of course you were supposed to lose that team. Like, anyway. So I don't exactly remember the time or date of when the game happened, but uh, one important for information I do have to say is that when we buy a ticket, you get access to two games. So on this day, we watched Korea play Brazil. But then the game before that was the United States playing uh, Poland, which I didn't know, which is pretty cool. So you're essentially buying uh, a ticket for two games. So, you know, it's pretty great. I think they still do it for the regular World Cup. But anyway, and the venue was at the Olympic Stadium or Stade Olympique in the east end of, or towards the east end of Montreal in the Oshalaga neighborhood. And uh, for those who don't know, Oshalaga, uh, today it's actually being gentrified, but at its time, 2007, was like one of the poorest, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Montreal. And it's, you know, very ghetto, had a really bad reputation. And someone who is an anxious teenager, I suppose, an introverted, shy teenager, you know, the world scared me at the time, uh, 
I was worried to venture that far east, as, especially as a guy from the west end of Montreal and being a kind of an Anglophone, an Asian Anglophone. You know, I, I was I was all being worried and freaked out, right? And you know, overthinking. But uh, so we take the metro from Atwater to uh, Pinuff. My dad picked me up from home. We drove to his work, and then from work we dropped the car off, get on the metro, and it's like a thirty-minute metro towards the east. I'm in the metro and I'm getting a little shy and you know a little anxious and whatever, and I'm seeing people come in and out, in and out, and I'm seeing more and more jerseys just piling into the metro, and I'm seeing jerseys of like Poland, United States, a lot of Brazilian jerseys, a lot of yellow jerseys ever with Brazil, and I see a handful, a sprinkling of Korean fans throughout the throughout the metro, throughout the time there, and I realized that every Korean person I ever saw going there or in the stadium was, I knew almost all of them. Those who I didn't know are not from Montreal, essentially, or maybe someone's parents I've never met, you know, and. It was crazy. I never had that sense of community, but it was also just the energy of anticipation and and just excitement. It was it was um there was something. It was so the air was so tangible that day. It was hard to describe. And we're in this metro, and I see my dad getting a little excited. He's like, "Yo, you see all the people? You see all this?" And I'm like, I'm feeding off his excitement. I'm like, "This is great," but everyone's like twice my size, and I'm kind of freaked out about this. <laughs> and we finally get off at Pinuff and we're walking and we're following the crowd and there's it's there's people everywhere shoulder to shoulder but it was just no negative vibe there was no tension i maybe i'm being nostalgic but the way i remembered it was it was just positivity everyone was just happy that soccer is finally coming to montreal that's what it felt like cuz the montreal impact was not in the mls at that time the montreal impact was i think in the north american soccer league nasl and the NAS, NASL is not as popular as MLS, MLS, even at that time. Well, even MLS was sort of unheard of. No one like knew about it. So finally, some like legit soccer, if you will, came to Montreal. Uh, sorry to Montreal Impact. I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> to the club, I'm a supporter of Montreal Impact. But anyway, so everyone's happy. It was great. And we finally, we finally get into the stadium. And how it works, especially in Montreal, everything's always connected through the underground. And the metro station, Pinuff, is directly connected to the stadium. What well, You don't have to leave the outdoors. It's all underground or one big building, if you will. So as we get out the metro and we're walking and you know we're all, we're, well, all this crowd, I'm starting to realize that this is my first time ever seeing the Olympic Stadium or just being inside of it my entire life I've only seen pictures of it or I've only seen the outside of it the closest I've been to it was by going to the biodome which is right next door but that's it I've never been inside so to me as a, as a young teenager finally seeing what the big O the you know, Olympic Stadium is all about I was kind of unimpressed I'm not gonna lie it's a it's a stadium that was just falling apart it was outdated it was clearly from the 70s and as a 15 year old I've been told by everyone that the stadium was like a corruption job that the mafia had built it during 40 expos and all this conspiracy and i mean i don't know if, i think it's a fact not even a conspiracy at this point but anyway we're getting closer i'm unimpressed by this building but i'm just so taken away by the energy and the vibe and the atmosphere that i'm like oh this is this is crazy like I, this feels like i'm about to go to war like you know it's like forty thousand people in here but i think it was only like 20 or thirty thousand. but that's still a lot of people and so my dad and I were trying to find our seats. So we're navigating through all, you know, the, the great halls and corridors of this, of the Olympic Stadium and just trying to find a right tunnel that gets us to, you know, to our right section, to our right seats. And then we're just, we're walking around and all I hear as we're walking around is just this roar of energy coming from within the stadium itself. So 
every time we're trying to find our right seats, we're passing by different tunnels that you could see directly into the stadium. So you could see the fans, you could see the the you know the jumbotron or whatever. You could see the the, the field, and you could see the pitch. You could see everything, right? And every time you pass by those openings of tunnels that lead right into the stadium, you just get this like bam of energy of noise of lights of just like hitting directly. I'm like, is there is God in there? Like, what's happening? Like, it's crazy. And and I'm all I'm hearing is just people roaring, Polska, 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 Polska. It's like all the Polish fans going crazy. I asked my dad, I was like, what's Polska? And he was like, that's Poland. And I'm like, oh right, Pol, Pol, right, right. <laughs> and uh, and we finally get in, and I'm walking in. I'm freaking out. I think my dad senses that he's like, oh, this kid's about to see some shit. <laughs> and then we finally find our tunnel that gets us into the stadium. And then the person at the state, I guess at the front of the tunnel, checks our tickets. She's like, oh, you know, you just go down the, down the stairs, and your seats are to the right, whatever, something like that. Walk in, and then the light and the energy, the noise, even the smell, the, the temperature felt different in there, too. It just came over me and I was like am I I realized that I've entered some weird space right now that I don't even feel this at church at church is a different vibe but this was um it's different uh, only because there's like 20 30,000 people in there just pure energy just waiting for a goal to happen yeah. and we finally find our seats and we're sitting in like an empty section and some of my dad's friends are there so we're all just kind of hanging out we're all just talking and we're just chilling and just waiting for a game to happen as we're casually watching the Poland-USA game. But I wasn't really watching the game. As a matter of fact, I wasn't really into soccer at this point in my life. I was just so into video games. <laughs> but this day really changed it for me because watching live soccer made me realize that it's completely different than playing it. Because I used to play as a kid, but I never really liked playing it because it was just a chore. Like, you know, my parents made me do so many different tutoring stuff. That soccer became the same thing as going to math tutor or English tutor, you know? Like, I, I, I couldn't care. So, I, my love for the game, I didn't even watch it. I only watched the World Cup, but, you know, that's it. I was very much a casual at this point. But that year, it changed for me. I didn't really watch the Poland-USA game. I don't remember it. I was just there to watch the Korea-Brazil game. As the Poland-USA game slowly wraps up to, to, to an end, uh, some of the Polish fans start leaving or some of the neutral fans even start leaving those who just came to watch Poland USA which is why Brazil's playing next stay like anyway <laughs> and more Korean fans started filling in and more Brazilian fans started filling in and to set the context of what the stadium the section of fans look like in soccer it's always I think it's always important to, uh, to describe where the fans are sitting because it always it adds a lot so there's two sections of the Korean fans. I've been to other Korea games when they played in Montreal, and it's always been the same deal. One side is the flag section, and the other side is the drum section. On the flag section, they pull out this huge Taeguki flag, this huge Korean flag, and the entire fans just lift it up as the Korean national anthem happens. And I was sitting on the drum section. So me and my dad were in the drum section. And the drum section is basically where the people sing and drum, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, it's they have like this traditional Korean water drum and the people sitting around that drum just sing the entire game and drum the entire game just non-stop and we're sitting that side you always want to be in the drum section because that's always the fun side but right next to us I think like a section over there's like one buffer zone of people and then the Brazil fans <laughs> and the Brazil fans are in the corner it was just a sea of yellow but like the majority of, of the stadium were there for Brazil anyway 
and you know we're there we're watching we're playing and korea lost <laughs> long story short korea lost i'm just gonna cut straight through it i'm not gonna be poetic about it because i don't really remember much of the game but i just <sighs> unfortunately i don't remember much of the game uh i it's been it was so long ago and i could probably find the highlights on youtube but i decided not to uh i just want to go based on pure memory and I remember the Brazilians just being way better technically. I just remember every pass, every dribble, every shot had a distinct purpose behind it. Like it, it was very clear. And they always executed just fine. It was just it was so much fun to watch Brazil these young Brazilian guys under the age of 20 play like men, you know? It was it was incredible. And meanwhile, on the on the other side of the field is um Korean teenagers still try to figure themselves out. You know, that's what it felt like. And it was like, it was like, oh shit, this is so different. The, these Brazilian guys, like they're, they're in it to kill someone. You know what I mean? Whereas the, the Korean team, they had that killer instinct. I just, I just don't know what's wrong. I, I, I don't know if it's the culture within the soccer association or if it's just the investment and in money. Uh, it could be a number of reasons, but it just it was clear the the gap was was there to see and the fitness the brazilian fitness was so much better than the korean fitness so much so at the end of the game the brazilian players who played from the first minute were still standing up and almost half the korean team if not all of the korean players just collapsed on their backs and they were just like dying lying down and some people say oh they're weak this and that and i was like they're not weak like these guys played their heart out except they just never played a team like brazil like this brazilian team and i'm about to say the names on those brazilian teams at the end of the show again i'm reminding you because you won't be surprised of how good this team is all i remember is just these collapsed young korean guys who are pretty much my age just like their chest concaving and convexing just going in and out like deeply and i'm sitting like I don't know how far out, but I could see their chest going up and down. I'm like, these guys worked their ass off. And I respected that. I was like, man, that was hustle. They lost, but at least they lost with some dignity, you know? I think the the final score was 2-1. And I thought that's... I'm pretty sure it was 2-1. I hope it's 2-1. But it's that's a scoreline to be proud of. Like, especially a team against Brazil at the World Cup. You gave it your all. You tried your best. But, you know, it is what it is, right? That's just how soccer is. Sometimes you can't you can't always be a Leicester City. So at the end of the game, we chatted a bit more with some other Korean people. Uh, the majority of Brazil fans were not Brazilian. Uh, the majority of Brazil fans were just Quebecois people who were trying to, who were, you know, getting into soccer. And the only in for them, I guess the only way in into soccer for a lot of these Quebecois kids was Brazil because they were the best team. I, I see it the same way as hockey. If you want to get into ice hockey, but you're from a country that doesn't have an ice hockey culture, you're going to look at the best, which is going to be Russia, United States or Canada. And same thing with soccer. You're going to look at Brazil, Argentina, England, France. And I see all these Quebecois kids saying, oh, she's Brazilian. And I'm like, you're not. But I, I get it. You know, I was like, you're not Brazilian. But they were just so excited to watch soccer and not see it on TV. So that game alone or that the World Cup coming to Canada, people think it, see it always see it through business, which is fine. But I always see things through culture. And that was so important for the Montreal soccer community especially for my generation, because it left an impression saying, this this is real. Like, this is not on TV. We could do this, you know? This is, this is giving us reality that this is real, that this is somewhat attainable, that if you could see it in front of you, what stops you from getting to where those guys are? On TV, it, 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 TV and phones and laptops or whatever, they add a level of mysticism and secrecy sometimes. But when you see it live in person, 
and you see the humanism through your own eyes, like the human element of that athlete with your own eyes, it's a, it's a different story. You're, you just think that I could, I could run as fast as that. Can I run as fast as that all 90 minutes? Maybe not. But the idea that I could reach that top speed or similar top speed as that guy, let's say I'm just being fanciful here, but or wishful rather, that I would motivate you to say, okay, I could reach that level. And that's, I think, stuff like that for Montreal is always very, very important. I mean, this is before when the Montreal Impact became popular or was gaining popularity in uh, in Montreal. And for someone like me, as a young, a shy, introverted 15-year-old, coming all the way to the east end of Montreal to from a kid from the west end to go see live soccer in person, going to the Olympic Stadium that's been so much talked about that I've yet to see or visit in person, and I get there and I get inside the stadium and I'm overwhelmed and engulfed in such an energy of people, of anticipation, of joy, of celebration that it's almost like I've been reborn in a, in a weird way. Like I'm using very religious language and I'm using it explicitly and it's not lost on me, the gravity of these words I'm saying. But it was generally a moment where I realized that it really, it marked a beginning of stop being introverted and try to make efforts of being more extroverted. Because after that summer, I never stopped playing soccer. In 2002, the World Cup has given me the dream of becoming a pro player, watching Korea make it to, you know, the semifinals. But what the 2007 World Cup made me realize was it was a little more real. And I realized that if I dedicate myself to this game, maybe I'll get to where those guys are. Obviously, I did it and, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And I was a, you know, impressionable teenager. But... That dream, that what, like, the dream of soccer or the passion of soccer was always there. But that World Cup coming to Montreal, it was it was watering the plant, if you will. It was watering the seedlings, and that's what it that's what it did for me. And how, and how symbolic and how iconic that I went into one of the cathedrals of Montreal sporting buildings, if you will. Yes, it's highly controversial building. It's some people say you know some people are ashamed of it, but it's still part of our cultural heritage as a city as whether you like it or not it's there it's done a lot it's been a part of a lot of things and it was there where i've rediscovered my love for soccer i was reborn inside the cathedral in the big o <laughs> well it's called soccer pilgrim so you're going to hear this kind of language from time to time so yes the u20 fifa world cup the games in Montreal, the Poland-USA, Korea-Brazil game. That was my first live game that I went. My first live soccer game that I went. And it was an incredible experience. It was, as I was saying, quite religious and spiritual. But it was also just, it was it was so much fun. And it was great to see so many languages getting along. You know, I grew up in Montreal. English and French, I was raised that English and French can never work together. Because it came out of this really intense period in, in Montreal history. And... Seeing it at a big O where people in multiple languages, even Anglophones and Francophones getting along. I loved it. This it was great. So very strong impression. <laughs> and as I said earlier, I'll um I'll mention some of the names of the players that played in each country. I'll mention the big ones. And if you look it up, you don't the other names you probably wouldn't know. And some of them I actually don't know. So I just named the ones that I do know, and these are big names. So for Poland, uh Wojciech Szczesny was playing. Wojciech Szczesny, who's now the goalkeeper of Juventus. Come a long way. <laughs> for United States, there's Michael Bradley. 
Freddie Adu, oh my God, Dax McCarthy, and Josie Altidore. Wow, wow. Okay, Dax McCarthy for MLS fans. That name rings a bell. New York Red Bulls legend. Uh, Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley are pretty much what could be considered American legends within soccer. Uh, they play for a Toronto FC right now, so they fucking suck. Uh, Freddie Adu, uh, speaking of suck, <laughs> that's mean, but... um. He was like 15 and he was supposed to be the next Messi, but he became a journeyman and played for like a million different clubs in a million different countries. I, I feel bad for him, but it was just, uh, it is what it is. And for Korea, there is a uh, Ki Sung Young. If you're a Korea fan, you know that name. For those who don't know, just to tell you the clubs he's played for, he's played for Celtic, Swansea, and Newcastle United. Not bad, not bad. Uh, for Brazil, now, this is the fun part. Brazil, the people playing for Brazil was David Luiz, William, Marcelo, Pato, and Luis Andriano. Let me repeat. The players on the Brazil squad was David Luiz, William, Marcelo, Pato, Luis Adriano. These guys were playing against Korea. And these guys became legends in their own right. Maybe not Pato, but they became big deals. Uh, for those who don't know some of these names, David Luiz just broke someone's skull the other day. Uh, I... <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that, but it, it looked it looked terrifying. I hope he, I hope Raul Jimenez is okay. Uh, but David Luiz, highly controversial defender, but also pretty good when he on his day, very good. Willian just never seems to age. Pretty good. Marcelo, everyone's favorite, plays for Real Madrid. Willian and David Luiz play for Arsenal. Pato is playing somewhere in China. Ugh. He used to play for AC Milan, but he's playing in China right now. I don't. I'm sorry. I it sounds like I'm disgusted with the Chinese league. It's just that. It's just there's so many good players good quality players that go to china for the money and i get it but at the same time you know but anyway so those are some of the players and they're incredible and i can't believe i've seen these guys when they're teenagers and not knowing what they would become so once again thank you for listening to soccer pilgrim and remember every game has a greater story and go find it thanks for listening